Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. I'm Sean Barker and Sammy, it's the big 4-0. Oh mate, I didn't realise that. Oh, what did your other half get you? I mean, did you have a party? Mate, I didn't realise. Happy birthday. No, no, Sam, Sammy, look, check this face out. Is this a 40-year-old face? This is barely a 20-year-old face. I mean, it's our 40th <laughs> episode of Back of the Net. Oh yeah, 40th. Yeah, sorry about that, my bad. Well, I'm Sam Davis, and here's what's coming up. Well, we're very excited that this week we are finally bringing you news of our first win in 2017, and it came in dramatic fashion as Cherry snatched a last gasp win. As ever, we'll have Michael's match report and we follow things up with your thoughts as well as the media reaction. That's right, and some splendid song choices this week too. Now, after that, Sean and I will have our say on events, including my own conspiracy theory that Adam Smith listens to Steps. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard that before, but anyway, after... Sam's slightly left-field comments. Um, He will then bring us the online review, and then we'll both discuss recent events involving Manchester United. Now, last week, it was the stamp on a United player that resulted in our player getting a five-game ban. So what happens if a United player stamps on someone else? Well, five-game ban, surely. But anyway, Sean, I'm going to have to mention... Those Justice for Mings banners at Dean Court later. I'm going to have to. But anyway, we'll go on to preview Saturday's match against Swansea City, where in a 5.30 kickoff, Bournemouth will once again look to pick up a vital three points in front of the BT Sport cameras. Yep, so let's get started and listen to the match report from this weekend's 3-2 win over West Ham at home. And describing events at the court this week is the very ecstatic if slightly visually impaired, Michael Dunn. Our springtime cherries yet again demonstrated why February must endure as the shortest month as they remained undefeated in March with a thrilling 3-2 win over West Ham United on Saturday at Dean Court. Eddie Howe may have selected the same team that started the battling draw at Manchester United had his hand not been forced by Kevin Friend and the Football Association. With Jack Wiltshire still managing his fitness on the bench, Dan Gosling came in for novice red card casualty Andrew Sermon and Captain Simon Francis returned from his hamstring injury in place of kangaroo court victim Tyrone Mings. 
Osborne was began the game with customary freneticism, with Benicophobe bullying the West Ham rearguard in a fashion that had the faithful wondering why he doesn't do so more often. After Benick had headed over from Mark Pugh's cross, the Cherries looked set to take an early lead after being awarded a penalty on ten minutes. Charlie Daniels had swept into the Hammers' penalty area after swapping passes with Gosling and, having a flashback of what our left-back did to Hector Bellerine, Sofiane Faguli hauled him down by the shoulder. Josh King confidently placed the ball on the spot, just as most people around me were sharing the stat that we had not missed any of the seven penalties we had been awarded all season, and with sad inevitability, that was the cue for our top scorer to find narrowly wide of Darren Randolph's post. Worse was to follow just 48 seconds later, when Slavin Bilic's side took the lead. A carelessly struck sideways pass from Harry Archer in the general direction of Daniels was easily intercepted by Faguli, who quickly found our nemesis Michel Antonio, who in turn span under the nose of Francis and finished accurately across Arta Boritz. Our heads then went down for a while, but despite West Ham coming into the game, our much maligned defence coped manfully with the threat of the speedy Antonio and towering Andy Carroll. At the other end, Randolph saved well from Ryan Fraser and Steve Cook as he sought to overcome his cherry phobia once and for all. Josh King missed a dangerous cross from Pugh by the width of his studs, but put that and the earlier penalty miss to one side when he drew the cherries level on 31 minutes. Following a Fraser free kick, the ball bounced to King in a crowded penalty area. This was no problem for our newly peripheral Norwegian, who did his best Paul Gascoigne impression by flicking the ball over the head of Jose Fonte with his right foot before finishing past Randolph with his left. It was a goal of real quality, although King refused to celebrate in order to save time for more goals, and his alacrity appeared to have paid dividends when we were awarded a second penalty six minutes later as Fonte made another attempt to endear himself to the home fans when he scythed Mark Pugh to the ground in the 18-yard box. Faced with less than convincing protest from the Irons' defence, referee Madley shrugged as if to say, what else can I do, before repointing to the spot. Josh King later explained that having missed the first penalty and then bagged a goal from open play, he elected to give strike partner Benicophobia a chance to get on the score sheet. With the entire ground expecting the Congolese to blast the ball with full force, Ophobia attempted a John Aldridge-style stuttering run-up before weakly rolling his attempt low to Randolph's right, which if the Irish international had had a cap, he almost certainly would have thrown on it. In a half that had had enough incident than most matches do in the full 90 minutes, there was still time for Boris to prevent Bournemouth from going into the dressing room a goal down. Harriata was again involved as we lost the ball to Faguli, and after Cook had blocked Carroll's shot, the ball fell to the Algerian, who looked certain to score until our big pole somehow got a touch to divert it over the crossbar. Having used up a large portion of our dramatic events allocation in the opening 45 minutes, I was expecting there to be significantly fewer incidents of note in the second half. This forecast looked less than prescient just three minutes after the break when our heroes in red and black took the lead. Another free kick from the wee man was headed into a phobe by Steve Cook. The ball then diverted to King, who could not miss from inside the six-yard box. Celebrations were muted inside the ground, however, as Madley headed to the East Stand touchline to speak to his linesman. Offside and handball were the prime suspect as the Cherry Nation held its breath, but Madley soon pointed to the centre circle as King was onside when Cook touched the ball, and Billich conceded after the match that a phobe had not handled it. The fixture then continued its ding-dong theme as Arter and Ophobia went close for the Cherries and Antonio drew another decent stop from Boritz. Bilic threw on all his substitutes in an attempt to get back in the game and it was two of these replacements who combined to fashion an equaliser for the Londoners which looked almost certain to give them a share of the spoils. A slide rule pass from Pedro Obiang put Sam Byron in behind the Bournemouth defence and the former Leeds defender then found Andre Ayew in the middle of the penalty area who finished with ease past Boritz. With just seven minutes left in the contest, Ayu's strike was the cue for a minor exodus from the home fans, but those who departed would have been regretting their hurry at length ever since. Eddie Braun, Wilshire and Lisa Mousset, and it was the magic-hatted one who played the key role in creating our winning goal. Receiving the ball from King in the centre circle, Wilshire advanced 30 yards before playing the ball to Mark Pugh in the penalty area. The pass was slightly overhit, but Pugh managed to pull the ball back to Jack, who unleashed a left-foot drive which Randolph could only parry away. Whilst all this has been developing, King had legged it into the area himself and arrived just in time to latch onto the loose ball, smashing it into the net and wheeling away towards the main stand to celebrate his hat-trick. Television pictures later showed King lead most of his teammates into a spontaneous loving with Eddie Howe by the dugout. But I did not see any of that, as I'd lost my glasses a split second after the ball hit the back of the net 
and was scrabbling around on the family stand floor like Mr. Magoo whilst all manner of delirium was breaking out around me. Once my vision had been restored, I joyously rejoined the celebrations, and after a few nervy minutes of injury time, Madly finally blew the whistle, and we had our first win of the year. It's been a long, difficult and bleak couple of months at the court, but backing up last week's epic draw at Old Trafford, with this soul-stirring win over the Hammers, somehow makes it all worthwhile. Thanks, Michael, and remember you can follow Michael on Twitter at All Departments, and whilst you're there, why not give us a follow as well? We are at AFCB Podcast. So this week, via Twitter and via email, we got loads of people contributing to the fan thoughts, so we're going to go through them shortly, and to accompany them, of course, is the song choice. Loads of people getting involved. Steve Wright, Queen, Hammer to Fall, Mr. Tiggs went for Love and Pride by King. Tim Hancock said the music can be anything by the king himself. With the wonder of you, Joshua's hat-trick was sublime. It certainly was. Now, Bassman Kev on Twitter said, We three kings by the Beach Boys, because King got three and, well, Bournemouth has a beach. Not very seasonal, though. No, not really, but good try there, Kevin. Red and Black Exiles said it's got to be King of the Swingers, a jungle VIP indeed. Ian McDowell. Your Love is King by Sade, or is it Sade? Never quite know. Smooth operator though, Ian. Did he get my joke? Road Cherry, he came in with, I don't reckon this will get a play, but how about I Am the Hammer King by German Thrasher's Hammer King? Only the chorus will do. I'll have to check that one out. But I checked out Chris Root's song, and he went for Avenged Sevenfold, Hail to the King. Not a bad tune. However, the winner this week seems to be unanimously, and Mike Brannan agreed with this, is King for the Day by Green Day. Hey guys, it's Mark from Westbourne here. Well, that was a much needed three points, wasn't it? You made bloody hard work of it as well. Throws <laughs> um, are the attacking play, was very good, I thought. Um, West Ham's shape was all over the place, but we picked it apart ruthlessly, created a hell of a lot of chances. It's obviously a shame that uh, we could try to miss them. Um, the cons would be... I was very upset with how second half for not making it midway through when we were losing the game there, really. West Ham was starting to put together a lot of pressure. We were dead on our feet. And for some reason, how refused to make a change. And it very nearly cost us, but credit the character of the side. He kept plugging away. And Josh King, what a man. Cheers, chaps. Bye. Shocking. Mm. From start to finish, shocking. Wrong side picked again. Players played out of position again. Accommodating players again. When are we going to learn? I'll tell you what we like. We've got Smugwash, who's a left winger, and Antonio right, but we're playing on the different wings. So when we get to a ball on the cross, we're cut back. Mm. So let them come back at us and defend us then. We just don't learn, never. Lanzini was out on the left to start. But the link-up play that they have, but when they pass it and move it forward, as you say, they're a joy to watch. Yeah, sometimes defensively they get themselves a little bit exposed and silly mistakes, but all in all, today, you couldn't take this away from It's a 90-minute winner from King for his hat-trick. They're just pleasant in the eye, you know. People are Arter and Gosling in midfield. They left Jack Wilshire on the bench. He came out uh, in the last ten or so minutes and had an influence in the winner. But they're all good passers and movers. Are confident in ball. Little Fraser at times is is quite a, a live wire. So it's all quite eye-catching stuff. But you do you do know the hard yards that they're prepared to put in, but they don't quite understand it quite yet. King, what are you doing? Just get the ball. Yes, you have missed. You have just scored. Get that ball and get it back in the back in the net. You know, you're a striker. That's where you drive on. Goals, goals. Get that ball and get it in. You have scored so many penalties. You've done so well. Yes, you're gonna miss one. That's a proper goal score. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. yeah, exactly. go back on it. Yeah, go back on it. Give me the ball. Yeah. yeah. Give yeah. me the ball and you do it. Yeah, great victory. Um, we made hard work of it. Obviously. Don't miss two penalties in a game too often, and um, unfortunately we did that today. Um, they obviously got back into the game quite late on, and uh, then, then they're pushing on with free kicks, corners, and probably people were thinking it could be one of those days. Um, but yeah, we managed to get get counter-attack. We had quality on the bench today, um, the likes of Wilshire coming on. Um, he helped us a great deal. 
um, Lee Smith added extra pace and strength at the top of the pitch. And um, yeah, no, obviously Wilshire laid the pass up Huey and then got on the end of it and it fell to Kingy. So uh, no, I think it was a deserved victory. Um, we could have been out of sight, really. Uh, we missed a lot of chances today, but uh, no, three points is massive for us. So thanks to Mark, West Ham fan Baz, we had Charlie Nicholas from Sky Sports, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, and then Dan Gosling there. And that last clip was from a post-match interview with our midfield maestro. And if you want to hear more of that interview, be sure to sign up to Cherry's Player. It's just £4.49 a month. Uh, loving the return of the behind-the-scenes videos, by the way, on Cherry's Player. And uh, I'm sure that they'll have one from the West Ham game in due course. But anyway, on to the game, Sean. And, uh, well, it was a bit of a topsy-turvy one, wasn't it? Jack Wilshire was left out yet again, but we started pretty well. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a, again, a really entertaining game of football, wasn't it? I actually watched it again last night, so the second time. And... Yeah, it was a obviously it was a pleasure to watch because we won, of course. But one thing I noticed very early on, as did many fans, as I referenced later on in the online review, that it seems to be that has Eddie found a plan B? Because we were playing a lot of long balls and we never do that. There were so many balls down the channels, just completely cutting out the midfield. Is that something that obviously they've been working on, do you think? Yeah, I think they're just extended passes, Sammy, not long balls. Come on, this is this is Bournemouth. I mean, it's it's something that I felt we used to do a lot with in the championship, especially with with Graben getting into the channels and with and with Callum as well. And over, I think we had that period of the season when we were on our bad run this year, where everything just got slow and a bit pedestrian, and it was all about getting to the edge of the box and then trying to work the umbrella of the area and make a space for Jack to put a through ball and it I think it it was easy for teams to defend against and this is what we talked about how an opposition could go okay we're going to set up here and you just try and find a way through us whereas playing those balls it stretches the defense it keeps the fullbacks pinned deep and then when you've got a Fobe and King kind of swapping roles very often often one would be out wide another one would be down the middle it just means the defence are having to worry about things other than going, oh, yeah, Bournemouth, we're OK. They're going to make 20 passes before they get to the edge of the area. And that's what I think um, we're starting to see. And it just, the whole game, the way we played, it just felt different, didn't it? it like we talked yeah. about the other week where it almost felt like we play from this script and every game's the same, whereas this felt a bit more dynamic. Yeah, it did. It felt like the pressure was off. I mean, that Man United match has obviously sort of had its effect. And it was great when we won that first penalty with Charlie Daniels flawed. And then Josh King stepped up to take it. And it was uncharacteristic of Josh, but I I don't know. It was a... I know he didn't hit the target, but it was a good miss because he was so confident with it. And he obviously was so confident that he placed it, you know, right alongside the post. Unfortunately... For him, it went to the right rather than the left. But, um, I mean, you expected him to score then, didn't you? Yeah, and I didn't get to see. They didn't show the camera angle, like, directly behind the goal to see just how close it was. It looked like it must have skimmed the post. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's easy to say. It's a foot away from being the most perfect penalty. Low, hard, and skimming the post. It's just that it was the wrong side of the post, I guess. But, yeah, and he was... He was gutted, wasn't he? He was absolutely gutted. Yeah, he really was. And we'll talk about his goal celebration later on. But before that, and what was it, 60 seconds later? I mean, that was just the sucker punch, wasn't it? And it was so typical. It just felt like, well, any of our games in 2017 so far, pretty much, with that goal. And it went through Simon Francis's legs. I mean, oh, it was just it was just bad. I mean, how, how were you feeling at that point? Yeah. Mm. The- a, a mix between here we go again, but and actually this is where because you know often the fans I think at Dean Court especially lately there's been a bit of bit of abuse online in particular around you know the lack of or you know support and that kind of stuff. The fans didn't stop the momentum, and I felt that was the difference. Even though we conceded and it was such a sucker punch, it. Yeah, it was a great finish. You have to mention that as well. What a turn and finish. Mm. But the crowd kept going and they're just, I don't know, they're, 
there felt it felt slightly different to this bad run we've been on where you're just like oh here we go it just i don't know it just i was okay i was okay it was an open game it was a sucker punch but it was like there's going to be many more chances yeah, and there certainly were. So, I mean, Steve Cook had a header, that Ryan Francis shot from distance that was going in the bottom left. Sorry, Ryan, but... Ryan Francis? Ryan what Francis? What did I say? Is that what I, is that what I said? <laughs> what a combination that is. We should morph that one up and as it as our profile, Sean, eh? JCL. What a JCL. <laughs> oh, apologies. Uh, but we did manage to score, and it was uh, Josh Wilson that scored the... Uh, no, <laughs> I mean... I tell you what, what a great finish under under pressure though, because the ball sort of just reached him and his right foot, he just hooked it over the defender and the strength that he had to hold him off whilst manufacturing a chance with his left foot. And it was a great finish past Randolph and from there at one all, <laughs> you could see Josh King's celebration. He kind of held his hands up like, sorry about the miss earlier, but <laughs> I mean, I have atoned for it now. Hope you can forgive me sort of thing. And that's a player who cares, isn't it? Yeah, I um, he he's on the back of my shirt for a reason. I love him. I think he's um, the way he's, the way he's developed and the way he's gone from, you know, when he first signed. That I remember watching all those preseason games, thinking, "Oh God, this guy, you know, is he going to come good?" And he's just added, hasn't he, so much to his game and finishing, like all three goals, and we can talk about them later on. But the, even that, he's done that flipped it over his head the composure then just to be able to poke it in the bottom corner not thrash it over the bar or whatever else that was a proper finisher's finish yeah it really was and i've just got to make a public apology now and this one goes out to sam summers and tom jordan on twitter because i was um having a little debate with them in the week and i thought that mark Pugh is not going to be ideal to start this match and I thought we needed some pace you but... don't know what you're doing you don't know <laughs> yeah. what you're doing don't put me in front of football manager because I would be rubbish but him and Charlie Daniels it was like the good old days they dovetailed so well and well it was that combination that won us the penalty with Mark Pugh gaining the ball from that lovely little free ball from Daniels and then as he went over a Fobay stepped up is that, was that surprising to you? Because the media pundits, I mean, you heard Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank earlier saying, King, he, you know, he, he should have been full of confidence after that goal that he did score. Yet there seemed to be no debate. It was Benick that stepped up. And, oh, well, firstly, what were your thoughts on that? And then what were your thoughts on the actual spot kick? Yeah, it was, um, it's funny, isn't it? Because it was, I think, because Josh said, didn't he, that, oh, it was, he wanted to give Benick a chance to score. And I get that, you know, because strikers feed on goals, but... I don't know. The whole thing when a player misses, like as a goalkeeper in that situation, when they step up again, there's extra things going on in your head because you're thinking, are they going to put it the same side? Are they going to try something different? And I think often you think, oh, they're going to try again because they kind of know how far off they were. It's almost like a one's like a tester. And it's like, right, I just went a bit too far. So I just need to cut back in. And then very often I think, um, this is not scientifically proven, but this is a Trump fact. The vast majority of people that then retake change their side and the goalkeeper goes where the first one went. So in that regard, I think it would have been good. And like you said, he was full of confidence. But come on, you're 12 yards out and you're a striker. You still, whoever whoever your striker is stepping up, you'd still fancy them to stick one away. And Bennett just can't catch a break, can he? Like, But he didn't help himself. The those stupid run-ups where you stop yeah. it's i don't like them please don't do them you don't need to just you're 12 yards out just hit the ball <laughs> yeah i mean what was it john aldridge that used to do that for Tranmere time and time again it was just yeah it was but just so frustrating yeah but at least he used to put a little he used to do a little shimmy and there used to be a little bit of a movement so it was like oh which way you're gonna go but this whole when you run and you stop it's just like there was no pay. He didn't accelerate his run and then stop, which sometimes players do because the goalkeeper actually kind of shows which way they're going to go. He just kind of meandered, stopped. Keeper's just like, yep, still waiting. But now you've only got two steps to give me any power. And then <laughs> honestly, I thought the referee was going to blow because he'd handled a back pass. That's what it looked like. Right, so Sammy, what I really want to know then is this Adam Smith conspiracy nonsense. It's it, Is it as good as my... Um, Juana Turbe conspiracy or my uh, Harry Arda's going to play for England conspiracy or is this a, an actually a good one? 
It's going to be a goal fest, Sean. <laughs> uh, no. Um, Adam Smith, it's, it's been happening too many times now, and it happened again. Uh, I can, you know, I think it was during the first half, or was it? No, it was it the second half? I can't remember, but uh, always when the ball is near the penalty box and he's inside the penalty box and someone's going to cross in, he's always jumping with his hands up. Now, you'll notice that Charlie Daniels in the second half is in the same position, but his hands are down. His hands are down and he he purposely keeps them by his side so there's no danger of the ref ever awarding a penalty. And Adam Smith, every single time it happened against Man United, one of them was given, another one wasn't. And then it happened again against West Ham and I swear that he must listen, well, to this song right here. (laughs) So that's what I'm saying. Adam Smith listens to Steps, because if you know the dance routine for this song, and I'll do it on webcam for you now, sure. Because I've got no idea what it is. (laughs) Of course you do. You're you're H's biggest fan, aren't you? I prefer... you got no idea what I'm talking about, have you? <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, during that song, the during the chorus, I used to do this at Jumping Jacks back in the day. You put your hands up by your side, you know, by your, your side of your face, and Adam Smith seems to do that every single time the ball goes near him. And it's like Skirtle in the penalty box for Liverpool always used to give a tug on a player. It's like seems to be this kind of reaction that Adam Smith has, and I just hope that. He stops it and cuts it out as quick as he can because we certainly don't want more penalties being awarded against us for sure. Anyway, he, 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 instead of st- he should be listening to arms by your side. <laughs> I want to see your arm. No. <laughs> well, it was one all at half time, but yeah, we did make it two one afterwards with a lovely worked goal. I think the West Ham players, I'd, I thought they were complaining for offside, but apparently it was a handball that they thought as the ball met Josh King. But anyway, an assured finish, and we should have had many more, I thought, because we we completely dominated the game. But Bournemouth, being Bournemouth, conceded late on, and it was two all. Thankfully, Josh King then came back with the winner but I've got to just talk about Andy Carroll um there was a lot of build-up online Sean about how he's going to be the one to watch and he's going to be influencing West Ham and a linchpin for their team but he was pretty anonymous wasn't he yeah he was and when I watched it back I was kind of looking to see one how we handled him like was it you know were we man marking him out the game or anything like that but we weren't. I mean, there was times when it seemed like on a majority of set pieces, yes, it seemed like Frano was picking him up. But in open play, um, Cookie and Frano seemed happy to pass him on. There was even a, a free kick, I think, at one point out wide where, because we were lining up zonally, Carroll was actually on Mark Pugh at the back post. And so, yeah, it felt like we hadn't s- strictly gone right. We're going to stick you on him and that's it. Um, I think we do have to mention the appalling distribution he got I thought the standard generally of West Ham's deliveries into the box whether it was through set pieces or whether it was open play was really poor and you know that's where when you've got a payette there sticking it on on Carroll's head it makes things a lot easier so I think that helped us but I mean also he's Carroll is he's one he can be he's one of the best headers of the ball in the world and you know he barely had a sniff did he really hmm so, you know, to all then, when West Ham did equalise, uh, were you still feeling optimistic at that point? Because obviously there's two points difference. I'd rather have three points than one. But the overall performance, I thought, was pretty good. Granted, there were two errors. Harry Arter gave the ball away for their first and then the second. Well, can you say it was an error? It was a it was a really good through ball and a nice cutback when many would have just maybe had a shot from a tight angle or fired it across goal but it was a it was a well-worked second but I actually personally felt sure like there was another goal in the game and Jack Wilshire came on and well he changed it didn't he because there was that nice little sort of interchanging and then they were just marauding forward I think there was about four or five of them and then Pewey laid it back and I I thought at that moment when (laughs) his left foot struck the ball I thought this is it Jack Welsh is going to score and then obviously Randolph saved or was it a defender but then Kingy was there you must have been feeling great yeah and it, it definitely 
the game was kind of had that open field, didn't it? And I remember there was a, I think when it when the clock hit ninety, there was on the TV they shot to uh, the benches and they showed Eddie, and Eddie was kind of slightly tense and was was shouting at least I think about a certain run he wanted to make, and then it cut to Bilic who was like hands on his knees, leaning forward, and it was like it was two boxers who in the last round and you're not 100% confident you're going to win it on points so it's like you've got to go and try and win it in this last round and that's kind of how it felt and they had the corner in 89 minutes you thought oh no this could be their chance and then the when we did get that goal again the the passing move was beautiful oh, so yeah. you've got Gosling Gosling kind of wins the ball back and it goes Gosling King Gosling Arter Wilshire Pew Wilshire save king it was beautiful just that bang 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 they couldn't keep up yep good save and then even even josh's finish again we talk about his finishing yeah just opened his foot up and it's like right i'm going to put this in the roof of the net and i'm going to win the game and then oh the celebration brings tears into your eyes just the that togetherness which has always been there and we've you know, the, the players have always been behind Eddie and, and JT throughout this whole period. But that kind of team hug was mm. a beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah, it really was. And speaking of the finish, that was the only place he could have put the ball because he couldn't have hit it low because there were players there. So, you know, it looks easy, but it, that's not that's not an easy finish, especially under the pressure. So with Jack Wilshire making such a, you know, a difference for the minutes he, he did come on, it's obviously caused a bit of debate online and back of the net we ran a poll and we said Ooh. who should be starting the next game do we start with Benick or do we replace him with Jack and go 4-5-1 we were interested to hear your views and we had a number of votes via Twitter and it was closer than you think Sean now 47% said that Afobe should start and 53% that Jack should be replacing Benick and starting himself uh, really interesting seeing the reactions online. Now, personally, I thought Jack should start after seeing that last sort of Ooh, your five, team ten Jack. Minutes. Your team Jack. I was, I was, but then I was actually swayed by a number of things that I read on Twitter. Not, not saying I'm easily influenced, but it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Now, when you talked earlier about those extended passes, uh, you know, Benikafobe does provide an outlet. Um, Josh King, as well as he plays at four five one, um, I think it's really handy to have Benick there and to give Josh the freedom. So I do agree with a number of people, like uh, Robert Murphy, who said Afobe is a great target man, won everything that was hoofed long to him on Saturday. He says the word hoof. That's not good. That reminds me of Jilly Longball. Um, but then on the other side, there's AFCB Pete that says Wilshire did more in his few minutes than Benick did all game. Failed to score, failed to play in others when he should have. Uh, Sam Stapleton, I'm torn myself, uh, but I'm going with zero changes. Why change what worked? More opinions later on, but I'm interested in your opinion, Mr. Barker. I am Team Benick. Ooh. Yep, Team Benick. I think he's he's having a good run one of playing our form as you know there's there's the whole thing of well we're playing well and we're getting up points so don't change it but yeah for me it's it's one it's his strength i think he has been holding the ball up really well it's that f totally that flexibility with him and and joshua so sometimes joshua's out wide sometimes bennick's out wide the and jack doesn't jack's not the kind of player to you know play that center forward position so like you said when king's up top with jack behind Jack still stays behind, even if Kingy goes off wandering. And then often what's happened is, is, and there's been examples of the last few weeks when it was that formation, King's got the ball out wide and there's no one in the box because a striker's different to a midfielder or an attacking midfielder and they think about things differently. And um, that, that kind of movement you just don't get if you're not playing someone who's naturally a striker. And then the other thing for me is that what a Fobe does when, when a Fobe comes to pick up the ball versus, say, Jack in a number 10 position is that when a Fobe comes to get the ball, he's got a defender on his back. And often you saw, for example, Winston Reid for West Ham centre-back getting dragged out of position because he's got to follow Benick and he's got to go with him. Whereas when Jack's in that number 10, often it can be a centre midfielder that's picking him up, which means that there's protection behind of a spare centre-back. And we just don't move defences around as much as we did, I don't think, in that game against West Ham where 
I mean, aside from, as Peter Darlington commented about, um, you know, not playing a right back, yeah, I think it comes up later on, um, it, was, it was because we kept moving them around, and that's what I feel Benick does. And then when you need Jack to come on, well, then he's come on and he can make a difference. If we're playing a big side and we need to be more defensive or whatever else, do we then put Jack in? There's still a case that you don't because even more so you're sitting deeper and we need to be able to catch them on the break and we need to get down the channels, which again, Benick does. So it's an interesting one to find how Jack fits in to this shape that we've got at the moment. Mm, so other people agree with you. Grockle Free says I'd stay the same. His play allows King far more freedom. His finishing does need to improve, but still did enough. Adrian Smith also agrees. BH Fire and Security, big shout out to you. Uh, they agree as well. Uh, and Tom Latcham says Wilshire is best at stretching tired defences. When starting, he's not taken a single game by the scruff of the neck. So yeah, it's it's interesting to hear the reaction and it'll be interesting to see what Eddie actually picks. But yeah, in conclusion then, I mean, you and I were both obviously very happy with the result. Patrick Devitt tweeted us to say, huge resolve from the Cherries coming back and picking up a win after conceding a late equaliser is big for the long run. More thoughts like that coming up in the online review later on. But as ever... We've had a number of puns in, and well, of course we, we did. We, we won. Of course we have puns. <laughs> yeah, of course we did. And uh, was this Gary Bundy who says the cherries take a hammer and burst West Ham's bubbles? Not bad. Steve Wright, Josh sledgehammers the irons and pops their bubbles. Mm, not bad. De- Ross Devonport, we won in 2017, and Josh King scored a hat trick. Norway. <laughs> oh, that's actually made me smile <laughs> he's genuinely belly laughing ross i can see him here on the web on the webcam he, he really is enjoying that um david smith a new king is crowned as josh josh's hammer blow melts the irons hashtag puntastic and then it's me who's dd underscore 2806 on twitter we're forever bursting bubbles and we certainly were, were well done to all who took place in the pun off there. Well done. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great win against the Hammers. And like me, you probably went through a roller coaster of emotions. And I'm sure that online it was probably very much the same. So here's Sam with this week's online review. So, on Saturday, confidence was high ahead of the match against the Hammers, a point at Old Trafford, a siege mentality spirit within the camp and an excitement for a Saturday game that was all too seldom. So, it's kick-off. But the match didn't exactly start in the best possible way, as a missed penalty was followed by the inevitable sucker punch from the away side, and this left the online masses bewildered. DD on Twitter said, Fiddlesticks, how Bournemouth was that? It's Mr Rowe. That sums up this season. Poor at both ends. Liam Searle. This is karma for those damn justice for Ming signs, isn't it? We'll talk more about that later. Sam Green. How can you miss the target from 12 yards as a professional footballer? Well, Robert Murphy wasn't too aggrieved. I'm not too upset we didn't score first. It rarely works out well when we do. True enough, it wasn't long before the Cherries had parity with a well-worked goal. Touch with the right foot, left foot, bang. Sam Stapleton, I love Josh King. Daily Echo Sport, Motti is going to love that one. And Ned Payne tweeted, bish, bash, Josh. And then before long, we won another penalty. Sam on Twitter said, Watford fans must be loving this game. However, Rich Owen, despite being pleased at the spot kick, was less impressed. Not liking the AFCB players swarming around the ref to get a player booked, thought we were better than that. The ref already had his card out. So, Josh King's not taking it, but Benikafobe steps up. This is going to be brilliant for his confidence and... Oh, Benik. Martin, penalty practice, lads. Lucy, two pens missed? Really? I think my sister should step up if we get another, even with her two left feet. RVH Cherry, King should have just stepped up and gone for the second. 
just not confident that Afobe has the confidence to hold together when under pressure. And Tom Latcham said, we're all over them, and if we don't win today, it will be a criminal act of suicide. Gary Chapman wrote, Eddie, can you put me down for the next penalty? I reckon I could score. So it was one all at half-time, and over on Twitter, fans were wondering just who'd taken over Korsikov's account, as Robbie wrote, vibrant, effervescent, and full of energy and movement. When was the last time we said that about AFCB? When was the last time we realised that you tweeted positively, Robbie? That's commendable. Well, Robbie's unexpected optimism was twinned with some positive thoughts and even a mystic Meg moment from Joe Lockhart, who wrote, King should have taken the second, he's been awesome, and I fancy him to make amends. Well, get in. 2-1 later on, and with the amount of possession and chances that we had during the second half, we should have been out of sight. Josh King with a brilliant second, well taken with his left foot, and Wittastic said the same on Twitter. Tom said, battering them, don't know how we're not winning by four or five, can see what's going to happen. Now, interestingly, Eddie Howe didn't make a substitution when everyone thought a change was necessary. The tweets from Alex Deutsch were metronomic in their regularity, asking for a change, but it never came. And lots of people agreed. Sam Summers. It's crazy how, one, we're not 6-0 up. Two, we haven't made a change yet. Lex Jones. Eddie, please make a sub. And then the Cherries fans, who were going to go home and enjoy a nice, relaxing glass of red in the evening, were more than likely to be thinking thoughts of getting hammered. And that's what we did to them throughout the second half. Yet somehow, we end up conceding late on with not a lot of time left. Alex Deutsch. That is so frustrating. Sam Summers, and there it is. Why didn't we change it and shore it up 10 to 20 minutes ago? Derek Beach, it was coming. But when you need a man to step up to the occasion, well, seemingly at the moment, there's only one man to do it. And once again, it was left up to our Mr. Josh King to supply the goods. Fern Balch, what a goal! Sam Green, Jack Wilshire counterattacks perfectly. Lauren Heaven. Ah, I need it to be over, please. Karen Colverwell. After full time, what a beautiful game. The Iwin Cherry and the AFCB said, well worth that win today. Lewis Gervy. Football will be the killing of me. What a game and a good three points. Jen Cadzi. From swearing to cheering just like that, I might cry. Good on you, Josh King. Way to go, boys. And Dan Ackerman. I can confirm, because of his hat-trick today, I'm naming my first-born child Joshua King Ackerman. Regardless of gender. Classic. And Mark Sinkinson said, Darren Randolph must be pleased. It was only three this time. So Bournemouth fans across the globe were jubilant, including a Mr Sean Barker, who quite thoughtfully left any gloating online until quite a while after the game, especially to his fellow Twitter comrade Peter Darlington, who happens to be a Hammers fan. However, Peter wistfully agreed that you lads seem to have had the rub on us, especially when we don't bother with a right back. Fair play, Peter. So, finally, Cherries emerge with what they deserve from a football match. The beautiful game turns beautiful once again. All our gripes with the FA last week maybe helped us fans and players to galvanise and turn a bad situation into a good one. With three points in the bag, we hit 30 points and all is good with the world. And, of course, after having watched the match on Monday in the FA Cup where Man United exited at the hands of Chelsea and Rojo intentionally stamping on Eden Hazard, it was heartwarming to see that the FA was surely going to come up with a decision on said incident that at least made us Cherries fans feel like we weren't just victims of the FA's one rule for one and another rule for the big boys policy. Or so you would think, Sam Davis. But here we go, folks. So the FA have released this evening, or this morning if you live in New Zealand, like I do, the uh, report and their official decision on the stamp. So where Rojo has, you can clearly and purposely see he's stamped on his head. So you can kind of see why they've made some comparisons to Ming's, but obviously Rojo's was... Lot, lot stricter. So you're probably expecting I'm about to say he's received an eight-match ban, right, Sam? Well, seven or eight, surely. Yeah, how about 
a big fat donut. Zero. The FA have come out and said that because the referee saw the incident involving Rahul and Chelsea's Eden Hazard, it means that they cannot now put any retrospective action in place. However, the United players, Manchester United have been charged for failing to control its players. But that's that's it. That that's 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 all we um yeah, that's all that's can we so yeah, the FA are just like yeah, just move along. There's not there's nothing to see there is nothing to see here. Please just move move on quickly. I just I don't know, I'm just lost for words really after seeing that decision come out on Twitter this afternoon and I've just checked the BBC website now and so the fact that the referee sees it is you know that is the final factor indeed you know he, he sees it therefore he's made the decision if the referee doesn't if it goes on behind his back then someone else has got to make the decision so michael oliver says that that is okay so that means then in in other matches where that happens if the referee sees it it's perfectly okay to stamp on someone's chest it's absolutely ridiculous and i don't know it only it just flags up this whole kind of inconsistency that seems to be rife in football at the moment. And, you know, no wonder Bournemouth fans feel, you know, victimised with things like this. Because at the end of the day, that was intentional. Tyrone Mings's was not. And as the banner said at Dean Court, <laughs> Ty- <laughs> justice for Tyrone and Sean, I'm sure you saw it in, on the on the Twitter streams and stuff and on the forums, there's that, that guy holding that banner. It's like a sort of year six art project, wasn't it? He got a few slabs of A4 card. He, he used sticky back plastic. He put it all together and it was a bit of a botch job. But unfortunately, it's gone viral. And there's this kind of guy who looks well chuffed with his invention. But a lot of Bournemouth fans are just kind of looking between their fingers thinking, oh my God, he actually did that. He really did that. <laughs> But do you reckon he did? He did he do it, or was it his kids, or was it his grandkids, or something? Surely, I don't know. I, I'm trying to picture him sat there, and he, he, he needs some help to do the sellotape because he can't cut the sellotape because his his little Play-Doh scissors that he's trying to use they won't cut because you can't have sharp ones. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's you know I mean it's it's just ridiculous, and like you said, it just makes no sense. Like if Oliver's saying I did see it, but then he didn't he didn't send off Rojo, did he? No, and he fine. didn't even warn him, according to the reports. There was no warning or, or anything at all. So he, on those grounds, you have to presume that the referee has seen it and he thought it was okay. But there's got to be, surely there's instances where things have happened that the referee have seen and they've gone back and reviewed or, I don't know. Like, what What if he'd have just, what if he'd have picked him up and punched him in the face and Oliver's like, oh, yep, yeah, we'll get on with that. And we can't do anything. It's just... It it like you said, it plays up to the one rule for one, one rule for the other. You know, Manchester United bring in billions of dollars to the Premier League. Don't want to see their big players sent off. We don't want to get caught in, you know, these role models, you know, being chastised. But then you say that, but then you know, Rio Ferdinand with that drug ban where they banned him for however long for missing a drug test. You could argue, well, that was United and they did a big thing to them. But it just on the back of the Mings thing being so fresh. Surely you'd have gone, oh, well, that's the precedent. That's five games for this. You know, we can't say whether he meant it or not because we can't get inside his head, but we're going to presume he did mean it. Or video evidence of Rojo, like, there was no doubt his foot is purposely there to hit Hazard. It's just ah, the FA, the FA. It's the same old story. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, Michael Oliver, uh, you know, he, he obviously made a, a glaring error. Now, I, I will find this out before the end of the show. I need to get on uh, Google and do some researching. I don't know if Kevin Friend was refereeing this weekend, and if so, what division it, it should be. It surely should be in, you know, Bournemouth Haywood Sunday League Division 9, refereeing <laughs> Locomotive versus, you know, Vienna Manor or something. I don't know whoever it was, but <laughs> I, I swear that, uh, you know, surely there should be some kind of long-term promotion and relegation system in amongst referees themselves sometimes but alas 
never mind, it's all done now. It's interesting to see the banner though, as it's, it's Mr. O on Twitter said, you can take the fans out of League Two, but dot, dot, dot. And Gary Wright says, if you see this man, well, I'm not going to say the rest, but he said, hashtag cringeworthy. Aww. Interesting thoughts there. Give him a break. You know what would be brilliant is if for the next home game, if all Bournemouth fans went in the North Stand and all made their own banners and bought them. And let's just let's just play up on it. It's, you know, like Leicester have those stupid clappy things that they all sit and clap. Let's have a load of ridiculously tacky signs, please. I want to see them all in the North Stand. I think there's a campaign on the way, Sean. Hashtag crap banners. Let's do it. Starting Swansea this <laughs> <Yes>. weekend. <laughs> yes. Eddie Drape on my tent. back. Oh. me to the Way down by the sea. Where I will follow Swansea. Oh, I still love that clip. Perhaps I should have it as my ringtone, Sean. Sky there sounds so cute. <laughs> yeah, back by popular demand. Most famous person on our show is a two-year-old. And her obsession with that song has actually got even deeper in the last week because I played her that the start of the podcast yeah. so she could hear you know, her own voice. And then Mama came home from work. Mama, Mama, listen, listen. So we have to play it again. Since then, when I put her to bed, she always likes a little song. I said, do you want a song? She says, yeah, and normally sing us different, normally the Beatles or something. Yeah. And then she's lying there the night after, and she just went, song, Daddy? Yeah, yeah. Eddie Dream? Eddie Dream? So that every night I have to whisper, Eddie had a dream. <laughs> <laughs> that is, obsessive. That is so, so cute. Now, I've just been doing my, uh, my research uh, over the last minute. And, uh, yeah, Kevin Friend... <laughs> over the last minute. Yeah, I have. I have. And Kevin Friend is, is actually... Uh, he had a week off by the looks of it this week. But he is back in the Premier League uh, for the West Brom v Arsenal match this weekend. So, uh, anyway, I don't know what's going to happen to Michael Oliver, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah, Bournemouth, they're going to be entertaining Swansea. And for them, I, I suppose it's the proverbial six-pointer because they're three points below us at the moment on 27 and we're on 30 points so if Bournemouth win we go six points clear but they could go level on points with us but their goal difference is pretty bad it's 11 worse than us so they're not going to overtake us even if they win however it's a big game now Swansea's form has not been bad I mean they beat Liverpool away they beat Southampton at home and even they beat the champions Leicester at home in February and they secured a 3-2 home win against Burnley who are doing pretty well but in their last match they lost at Hull City. So Sean, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's it is a big game, isn't it? Because if we lost it then, you know, this kind of optimism we've had of pulling away from the bottom bottom three then it kind of revisits it it's you know it's kind of risk and reward you know like when you play golf it's like do I go for this riskier shot but if it happens great if it doesn't I'm in trouble it's like you know if we go for it and if we put them to bed and we get that big four four one victory I've been promising at some point we're going to do to someone then at that point you've got to go okay that's given us a bit of distance and breathing space. And it's it's whether, it, you know, is it going to be an edgy, nervy game or is it going to be an open game and is it going to be another shootout and we fancy ourselves scoring more than they do? That's how I feel it will go. Mm. I think the crowd are going to be up for it. And, yeah, it's interesting. That, that defeat, it'd be interesting to see from Swansea's perspective how much that whole defeat hits them because that... That was a big game. That was like this game for them, you know. And if they'd have won that, that would have pushed them a good distance away from Hull. As a consequence of losing it, they're now kind of dragged very much back in the mix. Leicester are on a good run of form as well. So there's huge pressure. And I think who deals with that pressure and how they deal with that pressure, I think, will be a deciding factor in this game. Mm, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tricky one. I mean, I, th- I do think that if we play with the intensity that we had against West Ham, we should be able to be capable of, you know, be we should we should win this game, 
surely we should be winning it but yeah my only concern is just those those little errors that we have from time to time that just i don't know like when west ham scored their second we just seemed to open up and obviously they equalized and the silly mistakes it was the art of pass as i said earlier i think we will win it it's going to be a close game yes yeah, swansea are going to be up for it as long as we put in a decent high intensity performance i would even take a draw from this one to be honest there are other matches as the season progresses where we really should be sort of picking up points um and reaching that sort of 38 39 40 point mark now my main question of course we sort of covered it already is regarding the actual team that's going to be put out now i think it should be exactly the same do you anticipate any changes say that everyone's going to be uninjured you, you, you thinking it should stay as it is yeah, well, I guess the the interesting one is is Andrew Sermon, yeah. and i I would want to see Gosling remain. I mm. think Gosling's played really, really well, and he did really great. So, you know, we know that Eddie sometimes still has this. You know, has a thing. He he very much likes Andrew, and and there's loyalty there, and whatever else. And in the past, when when Sermon had to miss a game through injury, as soon as he was fit. He was back in after, I think, Gosling. Was it Gosling had played really well against Spurs? And then, or someone like that. And then the week after, Sermon just kind of walked straight back into the side. Mm. So I'm with you. I would like to see us remain unchanged. And I am Team Benick, so I would want to see Benick remain up top. Um, but there's that little bit of mystery of, will he make a change? Mm. Well, I'm going to go for a win, as I say, and I've got a prediction here. And I've, you know, if you've got a lottery ticket, I think I've, I know the numbers this week because I reckon I even know the scoreline. It's going to be four-two to Bournemouth this weekend, oh. Sean. Benikafobe is going to get on the score sheet. I've got a feeling he's going to notch a couple. Of course, we'll have one from Josh King. Of course, and. Moussa is going to come on and net the fourth. Oh, yes. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> So what well, are you thinking? See, it's, well, there's obviously some kind of smoke in the air down here in New Zealand and up there in Dorset because uh, I'm going to go four one win. There you wow. go. We've been we've been swept up in this emotional last week and it's all gone to our heads. And finally, folks, it's going to be that performance. Which, as you know, if if we play well, we are a lot better than our position in the table. And I know we're close with them in our position at the table, but I think that on our, our best form is way better than we are at the moment. And if we can pull that out of the bag this weekend, this could be the big one. Hi, I'm Michael Botto, and you're listening to Sean and Sam making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. Now, you may be listening to this through YouTube or Mixcloud or... Acast or YouTube. I've said that one already, haven't I? There's so many different ways to listen, Sean. Another way, though, that you can now tune in is through Audio Boom. So we encourage you to do that. And also, if, you, if you're if you part of our Twitter and you follow us at AFCB Podcast, you'll see that our show's now nicely embed into our tweets. So you can listen there and then. But yeah, do give it a go. It's afcbpodcast.com slash audioboom. And that takes you through to the Audio Boom site. They're hosting our podcasts for us now, the lovely chaps. And uh, you can go back through our beautiful archive of podcast gold. I'm just going onto Twitter now and having a look. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's cool. There's a new thing on the Twitter thing. I'm going to check that out. And you should too. But obviously I knew all about that because I pay attention to all the emails that Sam sends me. But uh, yeah, well done, Sammy. Oh, yeah, look at that on our Twitter account. That's awesome. Um, The other thing as well is over the next few weeks, we're going to be announcing just some details about looking at next season and the show and how it's funded and how you can help us. So we're just working on a few things at the moment. And so stay tuned for that just as we look ahead to hopefully continue bringing you the show next year, all going well. Um, So, yeah, we'll announce that in the next few weeks. Yeah, and uh, just a, a favour from you, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated. And uh, also tell your friends or just maybe retweet or tag some people into our Facebook post as well, because we want to spread the word. But thanks once again for lending us your ears for this week's Back of the Net.
the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Podcast Network.